The following is brought to you by theknowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. Talk shows. Honor guests. Thank you for your time. I'm looking for a yes or no answer. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics Extra. The Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition for September 13th, 2021. And more specifically, welcome to everybody who does not normally get to hear the PX3 Extra. Indeed, it is PX Free Week. Free HBO Week. That's what I'm talking about. You guys are getting the bonus episodes that normally are a mainstay in the life of everybody who heads on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and signs up at the $3 level or above. That, again, is $3 per week, but you're going to know where that money goes when you hear the episodes that will come out today. And Thursday, the Monday edition is the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday uh, version. That is where we go through all of the chattering heads that were on the Sunday talk shows. I break down the narratives that you need to pay attention to throughout the week. And we've got a couple doozies for you in this episode. And then, of course, on the Thursday edition, you get the late edition. That is where the latest news that breaks throughout the week is discussed because our Friday edition is recorded earlier in the week. So hopefully many of you enjoy this little fun taste and decide to support the show. Take politicsseriously.com. And otherwise, just enjoy. It's free. Free this week. Can you believe it? I am not speaking to you from Austin, Texas today, by the way. Indeed, you know, now, by the time that you hear this, the the cat will be out of the bag. But Brian Brushwood and I have uh, flown out to Las Vegas so we can surprise our good friend, uh, uh, our good friends, rather, at the Ice Cream Social podcast because one of them is moving out of Vegas. So for one of the final times, there will be a uh, a live in person in Vegas version of the show, a a little crossover between Brian and I's program, Great Night, and their program, The Ice Cream Social. It's a big surprise, but that's the reason why I'm not there in the studio for you now. But what has not stopped is my ability to gather these narratives, and we've got a few really really good ones. The biggest is Joe Biden. Going big at the end of last week. In our uh, a Thursday edition of the show, I said that that going big for Biden was going to be mandating federal employees and contractors to get vaccinated. He went above and beyond. And now on a federal mandate, employees who work at a company of over 100 employees will be federally mandated to get vaccinated. This has obviously 
churned up a lot. And there was some back and forth on the Sunday shows about that. That fight is not going away anytime soon. Here was my favorite, though. We had a real Tom and Jerry act, a, 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 a doubles comedy act that is uh, uh, you guys are going to enjoy it because we got some good sound of it. Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders followed each other around most of the Sunday shows today so they could basically talk about each other. This is all, of course, revolving around the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package that now explicitly Joe Manchin is saying he's not on board with, which means Bernie Sanders is saying, well, if you ain't going to get on board, then I got some bad news about that bipartisan infrastructure bill that you and your boys went and negotiated. Oh, yeah. And then. Finally, normally the, the, the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition is great at picking out narratives because you know what people are very excited to talk about. It's not really a big news breaker. And yet. We've got a little something that this might not be a big narrative for this week, but I think it's going to be a very big narrative as we go forward. And that is an interview done on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. With Justice Breyer, a liberal member of the Supreme Court that are now in the, 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 the minority of that court that has been pushed to retire while the Democrats have the White House, the House and the Senate. He's got some pretty strident things to say about that and more. But first, as we said at the top, Joe Biden controversially mandating that employees uh, of a business with over a hundred on staff will now be federally mandated to be vaccinated. Uh, this apparently will go through OSHA. It's a lot. Uh, let, let's start with the administration in their own words on ABC's This Week. This is Vivek Murthy. Well, George, so let's talk about where we are and what the president announced. Uh, fortunately, we have made a tremendous amount of progress over the last eight months. I want to remind uh, people of this because they can get lost in the, in the news about the Delta variant alone. But because we have 200 million people, George, with at least one shot of the vaccine, we are in a much better place than we otherwise would have been. With that said, Delta is a tough foe. It's thrown curveballs at us, and we have to be prepared to respond. And that is why the president announced an ambitious and thoughtful plan uh, that he earlier this past week, which is intended to help us get through the next phase of this Delta variant. Now, to be clear, the requirements that he announced are not sweeping requirements for the entire nation. These are focused on areas where the federal government has legal authority to act. So 17 million healthcare workers uh, who do who operate in institutions which uh, work with Medicare and Medicaid will now be required uh, to, to get vaccines. Uh, we also know that the workplace requirements he put in place for workplaces that have 100 plus uh, you know, workers, that those will affect about 80 million uh, Americans. Here's finally what we know, George. We know that these kind of requirements actually work to improve our vaccination rates. Tyson Foods, for example, 
which put in a vaccine requirement recently, saw that its vaccination rate went from 45 percent to more than 70 percent in a very short period of time. And they're not even at their deadline yet. So this is the next step, George, and in a series of steps that have to be taken to help protect our country from COVID-19. Meanwhile, the Republicans were not in love with this and specifically the Republican governors that now feel that they have had their uh, authority uh, trampled on. 19 Republican governors are now publicly saying that they will challenge the legality and constitutionality of Biden's move. One of them came on Meet the Press. This is Arkansas Governor Asia Hutchinson. Well, I appreciate what the uh, Surgeon General had to say, and we have to overcome resistance. Uh, This is a very serious, deadly virus, and uh, we're all together in trying to get an increased level of vaccination uh, out in the population. Uh, The problem is that I'm trying to overcome resistance, but the president's actions in a mandate hardens the resistance. And we talked about uh, the, the fact that uh, we've historically had vaccination requirements in schools, but those have always come at the state level, never at the national level. And so th- this is an unprecedented uh, assumption of federal uh, mandate uh, authority that really disrupts and divides the country. It divides our partnership between the federal government and the states, uh, and it increases the division in terms of vaccination when we should all be together uh, trying to increase uh, the vaccination uptake. Governor, do you really think uh, do you really think this is what's increasing our divide? I mean, realistically, it feels like this divide's pretty hardened here. And it, it, at the end of the day, um, it did seem as if there were a lot of private businesses that wanted the political cover. They wanted to do their own vaccine mandate, which you're supportive of. You think if a business wants to do this, you have said you don't want to stand in the way of that like other governors have done. Given that, isn't it the responsibility of the federal government in some ways to give some cover to businesses that would like to enact this but are afraid of the blowback themselves? Well, we'll see whether it's actually constitutional or not. Uh, I've never seen this type of uh, federal uh, action uh, in terms of uh, health care, in terms of, of uh, vaccinations. It's always been done at the state level. And let's think about this for a second. We have some very aggressive governors from blue states, but I'm not aware of any governor from any state that mm-hmm. said we want to mandate businesses to require vaccinations. And so the states, none of them have done that, and yet the federal government steps in. Uh, This is something that every state uh, has to make decisions on. I support businesses uh, being able to require vaccination, but it's their own independent uh, choice uh, for their workplace. So here's the here's folks. Here's the deal. Joe Biden did this because his poll numbers are sinking and his poll numbers are sinking because of his handling on covid. The reason why people elected him in an election where COVID was the number one issue on voters' minds, not the economy, but COVID, that's a rarity, is because he was looked at as the competent adult in the room, that this was an extraordinary circumstance where Donald Trump, even if you loved the gains that you'd made in your financial portfolio, which is normally what animates a voting block, you felt that Donald Trump was reckless and didn't have a cohesive plan on COVID. 
that it would all go away when the summer happened, the the pushing various different therapies, the fighting with the press, too chaotic, didn't have a plan. We need somebody that is going to know how to turn this dial that is going to be measured and will make sure that we are guided out of this awful, awful disease. Well, so far, we haven't exactly seen a ton of that. And I think that's ultimately what the problem is for Biden. We talked about this on last week, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. But let me just break down some numbers for you. On July 4th, Joe Biden had set himself a deadline that he wanted over 70% of eligible adults to have at least one shot of the vaccine. He set that goal in May. He missed it in July. And yet, we still had a barbecue at the White House where Joe Biden was discussing how we can now declare independence from this virus. Now, without additional mandates, we are currently at 75.4% of adults with one shot, according to the New York Times. But the question then becomes, what's the end goal? What do we want? Do we want 80%? I mean, ultimately, the reality of this is that Joe Biden is battling against case counts and deaths. So are we going to vaccinate our way out of this? Without a doubt, the vaccine still continues to protect against hospitalizations and deaths, even if now we've seen maybe more breakthrough cases than we were expecting. The New York Times put that at one in 5,000 vaccinated people can get a breakthrough case. And the vast majority of them, and I will say this both via research and anecdotally of friends of mine that have gotten it, had a pretty easy time with it. The reality is that COVID is a regional disease. You are more likely to be affected by it if a place where you're near has a high case count. And some states, including Hutchinson's, have not been great at vaccinating people. Or rather, their populace just simply doesn't want to get it. So the question then becomes, is this the best way to do it? Is this the way that motivates the people that have a low vaccination rate to get the vaccine? Effectively, holding them hostage against their paycheck. Now, like the Surgeon General said, uh, this is something that they have seen positive movement on. Tyson Foods had their workforce go from 40% to 70% when they instituted a vaccine vaccine mandate. And certainly other businesses are going to do the same thing. Here is uh, on Face the Nation, former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb criticizing this strategy, indeed saying that it's probably going to do more harm than it does good. I think the um, downside of this mandate in terms of hardening positions and taking something that was subtly political and making it overtly political could outweigh any of the benefits that we hope to achieve. If you look at where we are right now, right now, 75 percent of adults over the age of 18 have had at least one dose of the vaccine. Most of them will complete the series. That's a very high number of people vaccinated owing to the good work of the Biden administration. We're not going to get above 90 percent. We don't even really reach 90 percent with childhood immunizations, which are mandated. 
so we're going to get somewhere between 80 and 90 percent. I, I would state that we would have gotten to 80 percent just on our current trajectory in short order. Perhaps with a mandate on small businesses, eventually you get to something akin to 85 percent, but it's going to be slow because this is going to get litigated. It takes OSHA time to implement regulations. You'll have to put in place guidance, give businesses a grace period, and then figure out what the enforcement mechanism is going to be. And in the near term, a lot of businesses that might have mandated vaccines are now going to sit on their hands and say, I'm going to wait for OSHA to tell me just how to do it right. and give me more political cover. So in the near term, you could actually discourage some vaccination. Let me bring things back to one point, though. What is our goal? What do we want? What are we trying to do? Because that's the kind of leadership that I think, you know, uh, we, we, we had too much of a rosy outlook from Trump. And now I think we kind of feel like a dog chasing its own tail with Biden. Why do we need a vaccine mandate now and not when you had set a, a fairly achievable goal beforehand if you felt that this was something that you could legally do? Why did you wait until your poll numbers were in a decline to do it? It just feels very, very, very reactionary. It doesn't feel like there's somebody that has a cohesive plan. And right now, in my opinion, the goal of what we want to do is paramount. I think COVID's going to be with us for a long time. I think we should expect that most people eventually will get it. And what we should hope is that when we get it, it is as mitigated as possible both through a community transfer situation and whatever machinations our own body are going to react to it, hopefully after you've been inoculated. But the fact that this is going to be yet another screaming headache for Biden, to me, doesn't politically say that it's going to get him where he wants to go. All right, this is something that I found a little bit more fun. Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders just running across television, hitting each other with mallets. I'm going to let this play out largely via their own words. Let's begin on Meet the Press when Joe Manchin said that there is a lack of urgency for Bernie's pet $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. The only thing I've said, put a pause on. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't we basically put a pause on with all the unknowns that we have right now we're facing? Don't know where COVID's going to go. Inflation is still very high and rampant. And then on top of that, the geopolitical unrest that we have going on, we might be challenged there. Don't you think we ought to be prepared for that? Since we don't have the emergency that we had with the American Rescue Plan when the president first came in and we passed. What is, let me ask you this, though. The, the, this is long-term infrastructure that, that in some ways, you know, they call it human infrastructure. Social reform. I understand that. Social reforms, however you want to look at it. When, when people have different names. They take investment. This isn't short term and they want and it wants to be paid for. And if it's paid for, there shouldn't be an inflation problem. And the only thing I have said, there's not a rush to do that right mm -hmm. now. We don't have an urgency. Don't you think we ought to debate a little bit more, talk about it and see what we've got out there? So you're not against this. You could support this three and a half trillion dollar no, plan. I cannot support three and a half okay. trillion. Okay. okay, so that now, is a okay. all right, now yeah. we're getting to Brad. <laughs> it, it, it is not a time issue. It really is a cost. Now let's issue. give you a little bit more backstory on this bill for those of you who have not been following. Joe Manchin did what many thought was very, very hard, if not impossible. And that's get Republicans on board with a bipartisan, hard infrastructure bill, bridges, tunnels, docks, internet. This is now past the Senate and in the hands of the house. 
the House liberals, including Nancy Pelosi, are saying, or the the, the Democratic progressives, rather, uh, in battle with the Democratic moderates, are saying that we are not going to pass this. We're going we're going to leave this uh, right here until the Senate also agrees to pass a three point five trillion dollar soft infrastructure bill. This is the biggest expansion to social safety net and social programs that America has seen in a generation, really. So Bernie Sanders is saying exactly what the House progressives are saying, that this is, this has to pass via reconciliation amongst only the Democrats in the Senate at $3.5 trillion. Well, Joe Manchin also has said that he would be more in line with something that is $1 trillion to $1.5 trillion. So here's Bernie Sanders on CNN's State of the Union saying, "Uh -uh." First, your colleague, Joe Manchin, just explicitly told me repeatedly he will not support your $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. He wants to see something more in the ballpark of $1.5 trillion. Is that acceptable to you? No, it is absolutely not acceptable to me. I don't think it's acceptable to the president to the American people or to the overwhelming majority of the people in the Democratic caucus. Look, meanwhile, Joe Manchin is on this week saying that we should not be holding the bipartisan bill hostage in the House just so we can pass something else that he does not agree with. You mentioned the bipartisan infrastructure bill that has the support of Republican senators, but it's also drawn the opposition of progressives who don't think it should happen unless there's also progress on the bigger reconciliation bill. Here's a tweet last night from Senator Bernie Sanders. It's coming up on the program next. We're not going to build bridges just so our people can live under them. No infrastructure bill without the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Are you concerned we're going to end up with nothing? I just respectfully disagree with Bernie. I've never seen us in legislature. I never thought the purposes of, of our of the progress that we make in legislation was basically hold one hostage over the other. And also on this week, here is Bernie Sanders saying, and this is just perfect. Chef's kiss. Perfect. Because it's the exact same thing that a mob boss would say, right? That it would be a terrible shame if uh you know, both bills failed. But is, is no is no bill, let's say, you know, Senator Manchin has, wouldn't put a timeline on it, but he's come out for about $1.5 trillion in the reconciliation bill. Is, is no bill better than $1.5 trillion? Look, what the issue is here is when you have an overwhelming majority of working families in America who want us to do that, when you got the president, when you had over 90% of the people in the House, over 90% of the senators want to do it. The real question you should be asking, is it appropriate for one person to destroy two pieces of legislation? Look, Joe Manchin has the right to get his views heard. He's a member of the United States Senate from the great state of West Virginia. He has to sit down with all of us and we'll work it out. Now, we did, as you know, we had the same exact problem in the American Rescue Plan, which to my mind was enormously successful in getting us out of the economic uh, recession that took place as a result of COVID. And Joe Manchin and others are going to have, the Republicans are going to have to say, well, why are we not extending this $300 direct payment that working parents are now receiving? Do we want to really rescind that when we have cut childhood poverty by half? So I don't think that Joe wants to do that. I think we're going to work it out. But it would really be a terrible, terrible shame for the American people so, if both bills went down. And that is a real day. So, so good. So good. These guys 
are are obviously the mascots for the larger fight that is happening within the Democratic Party. Here's the problem for the Democrats. Joe Manchin is effectively making life a lot harder for Nancy Pelosi. A reminder that the House moderates a few weeks ago had initially tried to hold up the procedural voting on this reconciliation package by saying that they were not going to vote for it unless they voted for the hard infrastructure bill first. The compromise on that was Nancy Pelosi saying that the House would vote on the hard infrastructure package on September 27th. Well, based on Joe Manchin's conversation, it does not look like anything is getting done in the Senate on that time frame, at least on a bill as big as $3.5 trillion, which means either it gets negotiated down and now you have another problem with the House progressives or they eventually have to vote on this hard infrastructure package. Or, and this is what I think is the most likely, Nancy Pelosi just punks out the House Democrats anyway and says, yeah, I'm altering the deal. Pray you don't, pray I don't alter it any further. We will see. But still, the fact that we got a live Punch and Judy show here on all the Sunday shows across four different networks was pretty darn delightful. And finally, uh, again, I I thought this was really interesting. Justice Breyer, who last week uh, was the subject of Amy Klobuchar saying that not only was she in favor of packing the Supreme Court, but she was very, very, very insistent that Justice Breyer should retire. Obviously, the specter of the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg death looms large, especially as we have situations like what happened in Texas, where the court refused to stay the fetal heartbeat law that has made so much news. And so Justice Breyer came out and gave an interview. Now, he didn't give an interview to MSNBC. He didn't give an interview to CNN. Didn't give an interview to CBS. Didn't give an interview to NBC. He sat down with Fox News. So let's get to the big headline. This is Fox News Sunday's interview with Justice Breyer speaking about the topic of the moment. Is he going to retire? I interviewed your colleague, the late Justice Antonin Scalia, Mm -hmm. back in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I want to play a clip from that interview. Take Take a look. Will you time your retirement so that a more conservative president can appoint a like-minded justice? I would not like to be replaced by someone who immediately sets about undoing everything that I've tried to do for 25 years, 26 years. Sure. But, I mean, I shouldn't have to tell you that. (laughs) Unless you think I'm a fool. (laughs) Do you agree with Scalia that a justice who is unmindful of the politics of the president who replaces him, who's unmindful of that, is a fool. I don't intend to die on the court. I don't think I'll be there forever. But but I've, I've said a few of the considerations previously, and I, I, but do, I think. But do you think the consideration that Scalia mentioned, I don't want to be replaced by somebody who's going to undo everything that, that I've spent? done? That I've undo, undo everything I've done? Yeah. I see the point, and probably in your background there's be something. There are many considerations. 
many, many considerations. This brings us to the calls for you to step down while a Democratic president and a Demo can appoint your successor and a Democratic Senate can confirm your successor. Here's one example of that. He makes his own decision about if he's going to retire, but he's going, if he's going to retire, it should be sooner rather than later if you are concerned about the court. What do you think of those calls? Well, I think that they're entitled to their opinion. I think they, and, and not only, they understand the political world much better than I, or they understand it pretty well. And uh, uh, there we are. What else do you want me to say? They would say you ignored those calls and increased the chances that a Republican Senate will be there to confirm your successes. Well, I mean, there are factors. There are many factors, in fact, quite a few. And the role of the court and so forth is one of them. And, and uh, the situation, the institutional considerations are some, and, and uh, I, I believe, I can't say I take anything perfectly into account, but in my own mind, I, I think about those things. So, why didn't you retire? I didn't retire because I decided on balance I wouldn't retire. And just for good measure, here he is again on whether or not he thinks it's a good idea to pack the court. President Biden has appointed a commission to come back to him in November and discuss, weigh in on possible reforms to the court. What do you think of the idea of increasing the number of justices on the court? No, well, one party could do it, I guess another party could do it. And the more thing, I mean, it's fairly surface. On the surface, it seems to me, uh, you start changing all these things around and uh, people will lose trust in the court. What about term limits? People, even justices, live a lot longer now than they did back in the 18th century. Would it lower the political heat if, say, a justice served for 18 years instead of a life term? I think you could do that. It should be a very long term because you don't want the judge who's holding that term to start thinking about his next job. Uh, but it would make life easier for me. Let's just say that Justice Breyer is not making himself out to be quite the warm and fuzzy, uh, <laughs> the warm and fuzzy figure that can raise money for the Democratic Party in the same way that the Yas Queen Ruth Bader Ginsburg caricature tended to be. He is going to retire when it's his time to retire. And that, I suspect, will not only extend beyond the midterms, but possibly into 2024 and beyond. And that will wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics Extras, written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio, live on location in Sin City, Las Vegas. I want to thank everybody who is listening to this for the first time. I hope that you enjoy it, and I hope you understand that when you sign up at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, what you are getting is not, you know, piddling. There is a lot of work that goes into the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition, and hopefully it makes your week a more interesting and edifying experience because you will have a primer on the news stories of the day. If you've enjoyed it, please go ahead and share it on Twitter or more so amongst one friend. 
let them know that this is the kind of stuff that you have. And spread the word that this week is free HBO week. We're giving you everything for free. Uh, we don't exactly know what's going to be on the show this week on, on, on the main shows. We're still putting that together. But I know it'll be good. And I know that I'll be happy to do it because I'm always happy to speak with you. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying politics has three names. Oh, yeah. The Patreon extras have their own outro. Woo! Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.